Hi, I'm Marcus Dip Silas. And I'm Jaffif Chu. And you're listening to the Dip Chu Podcast. On the Dip Chu Podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. I do want to go back to explore a little bit um, about some of the influences within within the church. Um, I mean, Jafeth had asked, kind of asked you, you know, what what do you think is the solution? I guess you know, are are there practical ways? You know, we know that it's a system; it's kind of bigger than us. It's it's beyond a lot of our clout to change it. Um, but what are some practical ways? And in that sense, too. Um, books and resources um, that we can turn to, look to, like how can we begin at least for ourselves to start that process of contextualizing faith in in our families? I mean, at least for your sons, you know, how do you explain key concepts without necessarily relying on very Western frameworks to do that in, in, in faith, at least? Mm, I guess when it it comes down to it. The, the central person in our faith is Christ. Mm. And of course, there is quite a bit about charismatic practice, which I guess eventually falls by the wayside. But the centeredness of Christ as a person, as a living person that you can directly communicate with and answer you, I think that will never get old mm. in the sense that the Spirit's voice is our final bulwark. Now, mm. I say this with fear and trembling because it doesn't seem to help with very spiritual people either. <laughs> that very, very spiritually connected people whom I have no doubt in my mind of their, their honest relationship. These are not hypocrites, right? It's easy to look for hypocrites in the church and especially those who are very closely related to whatever political parties. But there are some leaders who are genuine and, and we know they are filled with the spirit, but there are still things that I guess for from our viewpoint, that doesn't keep them right, right? And so what I try to- They get it wrong. Um, they, they get it wrong. <laughs> they, they simply get it wrong. And so I, I just had a discussion with my own, uh, I lead a young adult group since they have been formed one. So now they are like just starting to get to work and stuff. And one of the discussions we were just recently having is that we need to have this humility about our faith to realize that, you know, Christians in the- 12th century, 15th century, had a whole lot of ideas which were godly and right, but they were wrong. And in, in, in retrospect, we can say they were wrong. And so we need to admit that we are not in that magical moment in history where we have everything figured out. And if we can admit that even our most closely cherished beliefs and practices could be mistaken, then I think we are part of the way there. The problem with this is, uh, and, and the reason why I, I do not seek permission from my church to speak that way, is because I think definitely this will lead to doubt. And this is where certain church leaders will quote to me, oh, uh, double-minded man, you know, blown about by the wind. Uh, but I think that sort of humility is necessary for us to start that process of centering ourselves uh, in Christ. But of course, there are certain things that for me is, non-negotiable once these are something that you do not hold on to uh, then it's time to take a step back and actually explore whether this is still your faith 
So divinity of Christ, uh, Christ still being active in 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 today's world. Um, you know, just just a very few things. Everything else, I think, especially the the hot things of oh, how science interacts. Can we trust these scientists? Are they not just trying to destroy our faith? Um, whether there's matters to deal with, how does a family structure look? And I know that one of the things we have discussed is about uh, LGBT, but I think beyond that, are gender roles actually something that, because we see in the Bible, is something that we need to enforce and put into practice? Should girls be girls and boys be boys? Even taking the trans and queer out of the discussion, is that something we want to defend? That is something I think we can put on the block and say, look, we can pull this apart and, and, and see where it brings us. But that will take a long time. And like most ideas, so I, I come from an academic tradition in terms of my profession. And one of the talks which I've gotten from a more experienced professor when I was younger is just to say that even in science where people are supposed to be very cool and collected and fact-based, normally someone has to die before their ideas get disproven. Like we tend to hold our most cherished ideas to our deathbeds. So I think there is a general generational change mm. that must keep happening and it never happens quickly yeah. unless Christ comes with the sound of trumpets and shofars or whatever. Uh, then, <laughs> then everything uh, then everything can change quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'll be ready. I have my shofar ready. <laughs> yeah, I, I never learned to blow that thing. Uh, I, I dislike the sound. So it's all your job, Marcus. Uh, I will just clap hands. <laughs> Blow the walls down, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the the things that I am currently listening to is this, uh, I think it's fairly obscure, a podcast called Minding Scripture, uh, where they have basically religious experts on Christianity and Islam. And they're supposed to have a Jew, but he doesn't say much. And just dealing with the monotheistic religions, what their perspective is. And I hesitate to say this because of the country that we are actually sitting in but some of the people that i follow on twitter the ones who are progressive the ones who are genuinely trying to see a reformation uh, within the islamic faith mm. i find the way that they speak the way that they analyze their faith something that i can mirror in my own faith now i fundamentally disagree with them on the matter of faith itself but the methods that they use the humility with which they are willing to explore it and the fact that they are willing to look at examples from the Reformation, right? We have been here before. Christianity has remade itself and will continue to remake itself. So I think we have these historical things to draw on. Unfortunately, I'm not the sort to actually remember the books or the authors that I have read. And in this day and age, I only do that for work, for research. So I follow much more in terms of people's live comments, social media, Twitter, and blogs. For example, Francis Chan, who is not really in my ballpark in terms of actual practice or theology. But I think one of the most powerful statements from him is when he disappeared. Right? And, and I did not notice because I don't really follow his, his style. It, it's useful messages and I've shared it with people, but not really my cup of tea. But when I heard that, oh, he just needed to take stock and okay, I need to go now. This is too much for me. This celebrity is not what Christ is calling me to. And I think there's not enough of that with the famous people. We see the famous people like being famous, I think. And somehow we keep putting them on pedestals. We keep idolizing Christians, which is one of the most basic things that in, in, in Christianity we should not be doing, right? So I think generally, 
all of this are to a degree uh, problematic. Right? Um, we are fallen humans and, and, and we know that. Uh, the difference, I think, is that um, some of us are willing to admit and try to work that through. Mm. What worries me is yeah. when some cannot see beyond their own uh, their own hype and their own ego. Uh, I, I think that is very dangerous. Mm. Uh, that is, in my opinion, what leads to a leader like Trump having evangelical strong support. And it will continue to happen uh, as long as the church is strong. So I, I guess, and, and this is a very horrible thing to say for our brethren in the US, um, but I think the strength of the church, the, the wealth of the church, the influence of the church works against it. Mm. You could stand to be be in our situation more. I I think mm. it would help y'all yeah. spiritually, yeah. Uh, as, as much yeah. as there is not something that we should be wishing on anybody. <laughs> okay, so um, what are some of the issues that you've observed within the Malaysian church that needs to be addressed? How do Malaysian believers go about addressing issues of racial prejudice and bigotry against you know um, the LGBTQ community, uh, self preservation, Christian nationalists, and even Zionist tendencies. Like I was mentioning earlier, I'm quite thankful that uh, my father has not gone um, full Trump mode. <laughs> uh, and in fact, uh, with the most recent, okay, not the most recent, because there is now a more recent one in Boulder, uh, but, the, but the shooting previous to that, America, you are crazy. Uh, we do not understand that part of your culture at all. Uh, but but the, the basically the white guy going and shooting up um, your, your massage parlor, um, is obviously in the articles after that, as Christians, we would be drawn to those which mentioned his faith and, and how much of an influencing factor is there. And uh, I shared that article with great fear and trembling in a particular WhatsApp group. So we have a WhatsApp group for the leaders of the church, including some of us who are younger leaders, the millennial leaders. We are also in that group. Um, it's, it's primarily operational, but sometimes, so I, I shared this to no response. Uh, but two days later, my father, so who, who is currently the pastor, he reshared the article. I think he didn't read what I sent and asked, okay, so what is it that as a church do we need to deal with this? So myself and another millennial within the group, we responded a few things saying, you know, there are issues with Christian nationalism. There are issues with how we follow the US. But then my father has a question for us. So what do we need to do? And I haven't answered that. It's been two days. Uh, neither has my friend. Um, because I think the more I think about it, a lot of it seems outside what we can deal with. I guess if I were want to think back to how some of us within the church, especially within this generation, are less inclined towards trusting the American evangelical narrative, I think actually it comes from the training that our parents' generation has given to, to us the emphasis on scripture and the emphasis on judging by fruit, you know? And, 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 and sometimes it's like now 20, 30 years later, you're turning back to your teachers and said, you know, you taught me this. I believed it. Um, what's, what happened with you? <laughs> you know, uh, how, how, how did these values shift? And I think this would be even more poignant for y'all because you have gone to those uh, universities and some of your leaders are those who taught you are the ones who are now coming out with statements which horrify you. It's not so much for me because a lot of my teachers and leaders are local and most of them are not uh, sold out to the US in that sense. So I guess to talk about what as a 
Malaysian church um, we should do? I guess we cannot change the overall narrative, but one worry I have, the urban church in Malaysia is primarily Chinese and middle class. Okay, so we have that Chinese speaking branch of it, but the vocal ones, the ones who who have the money, let's put it this way, are Chinese, middle class and English speaking. The majority of the church is Bumiputra and Malay speaking, but that's because of Sarawak and Sabah. And they are honestly treated like colonized states. So uh, just within Semenanjung, our church is thoroughly Chinese, thoroughly middle class, which means that in the last 20 years, our church is thoroughly DAP. And I think that is something which worries me because I see parallels with how the American church uh, is primarily just a branch of the Republican uh, Party. And I say that being someone who has personally gone out and campaigned for DAP candidates, I've volunteered, I just recently volunteered for their office. I'm so happy with my DAP representative and all that. But the church must not allow itself to be identified. It's hard here because the opposition to the DAP is antithetical to everything that we as Christians believe in. Mm. Right? But then, then I look at the US and I guess for a lot of white Christians, that is what the Democratic Party seems to be. Right? Mm. It seems that their major talking points are everything which is antithetical to the church. So I guess instead of saying that we should not blindly follow the US, I think it is a given that they are a huge influence on us. If not them, the next big influence is China. And, and that is really mm. not an influence which I would like to see yeah. uh, on, on the national practice, on our Christian practice and with how the church churches there function. So rather than trying to reject uh, American or Western influence, I think we need to learn uh, from what happens <laughs> and to learn and to be better. Uh, this is something mm. very basic that when we do teaching, we want the student to be better than the teacher. That, 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 that is how teaching works. That is how we grow. And so I guess if we have to be Anglophiles, if we have to follow after them, we need to be able to look clearly at their history, probably clearer than they can see themselves because we are not embedded in it, and say, you know, I am going to learn from this and see how I can do better. Uh, of course, with all the humility that uh, being a child of God uh, entails, uh, of course. Specifically, one area that I'm curious about for a Malaysian church ethic of engagement or uh, a way of, 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 you know, how we interact with um, the LGBTQ community, we, we have mentioned quite a bit uh, about them, but I'm wondering whether you have thoughts about that here. You know, we talked about how conservative Malaysia is as a country. Even we as Christians, we are very conservative about sexuality. How, how do we find a better way to engage with persons from that community? I look at this from two perspectives. And... So to not answer yours directly first, I think the whole area of talking about this issue is something that we can can already do as long as we ex are willing to accept that in that conversation, there will be some who feel this particular local church is no longer mm. for me. right? And I think if we are willing to be honest, and if let's say a church leadership is willing to be honest and say, you know, this is not something we can accept, 
then they need to be comfortable with the fact that some, especially those who are younger and those who have friends in such communities, will feel mm. that this then this is a church mm. that I cannot accept. What pains me is when the result is I am unhappy with the local church, I will leave the faith. Yeah. Right? And there needs to be a Christian community where this is accepted. And we need mm. to avoid being like the local political parties who immediately brand these others as, oh, they are all deviants, they are all heretics, right? So uh, I've mentioned to Marcus that in the area of, for example, homosexual practice, I am at the stage where, for me, if if the Bible claims something as a sin, I am not prepared to overanalyze that. I have seen the, the various... Uh, arguments or justifications which can be brought and I think there is some com- convincing things there but I am not prepared to take that step but what I am prepared to say is that our faith is not built on mm. the lack of sin and the lack of sinful practice mm. that is why grace is so important uh, within the Christian faith so for me personally that's where I am at I know that it's not work enough for certain segments of the church and it's way too work for other segments. Uh, but I think we need to accept that there, there is a church and there is our own small church. And if we disagree with each other, that we can find other parts of the body where we would fit in uh, better. I think too many of our generation have found one serious disagreement, whether it be science, social concerns, sexuality. And because of disagreements on that, Therefore, like evangelical, we always say, there's just one faith, one God, one Bible, sola, whatever, you know? <laughs> sola scriptura. Sola panels. Yes. <laughs> so, and so, because you disagree with the church on this one point, you will leave. And, and, so, uh, that, that for me would be the, the overall, how we handle difficult things is we need to admit that Correct. if there's a disagreement, this doesn't mean that you disagree with the faith. Yeah. The yeah. faith is greater than any of us, either of us in it. But, mm. Coming to the question of how we should deal with individuals, um, I think the the research that I have read and seen is that mm. um, people's opinions are very much influenced by their own personal interaction and communication. That is easy for someone who has never interacted knowingly with someone from a minority to say that this is not acceptable. You can say very hurtful things until you are standing in front mm. of them or until you know one of them personally. personally. And so I guess the only cure in that sense is for for the ability to interact openly with people who we personally say, oh, is this deviant? Is this wrong? This Is this uh, sinful? Uh, But familiarity with some of them, to know that they are not caricatures, two-dimensional, like how our common understanding would have it, I think that would significantly help. But that is not going to happen within a Malaysian context because once you step out of KL, all bets are off in terms of how this will be seen in society. So in a sense, I think our church is protected from having to deal with these issues as long as there's a strong Islamist movement in government and they want to maintain moral purity, Mm. then we will be protected because we will never have to Mm. seriously deal with this we will always be slightly to the left of whatever crazy right-wing stuff those in power have. So if and when we actually have a more democratic system of governance with more respect for minorities, Mm. that is when as a church, we will see these fissures much more. Because then we will be 
more people will be coming out and we will be forced to deal with the fact that this is not something that people are hiding anymore. Okay, one of my own youth, of youth leaders left the church for this very reason because he could not reconcile uh, his own preference. So he actually got married and everything and then he divorced the wife, right? So, um, but this is something hush-hush. We do not talk about this and there is a good reason we don't talk about this because legally speaking, in the moral climate of Malaysia, these are hazardous things. When it becomes less hazardous from a political and legal point, this is where we will see, mm. I think, much more fissure within the church. And I believe this is what will drive a lot of the millennials who still remain within the traditional churches. I think a lot will be pushed away by this specific topic. I have spoken with the leaders in my church mm. to say that um, if and when this comes to a head, I think you will find that your membership is not mm. with you on these topics. That we maintain theological mm. purity, but mm. most of the members are much more gracious than we are willing to be. So the time for reckoning will yeah. come, but looking at our mm. situation, uh, it's a decade more, man. Uh, <laughs> nothing to worry about in the near future. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good time to prepare people to listen, though. Yes, I think so. Because at the end of the day, so what you like, what you were saying, you know, you, it's easy to talk about them when you're not one of them, with them, know them. As an academic, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, and 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 mm. social media removes the accountability of say what you were going to say online to the person to their face, right? And and the funny thing is, some people ask me about my post about that, and I'm like, no, I would say these words to your face. <laughs> because this is what I mean, right? Um, but specifically with with um, LGBTQ plus members, uh, whether members of faith, um, you know, who, who might not have, yeah, like you said, like a lot of them are, are afraid to come out because of the backlash from society itself, from uh, Malaysian uh, cultural context and also the response from the church. But mm. my hope and prayer is that we are exercising some form of listening muscle now, especially with church leadership, right? That church leaders would pay attention to some of these conversations. And, you know, I'm really glad that you are you are uh, part of your church and able to uh, advise in that capacity because definitely we know that policymakers, we know that um, theologians who are, also, who are not also practitioners are often very out of touch with what's actually happening with the folk religion. Right, expert religion might dictate something, but folk religion might look completely different or have different experiences. Yeah, so I, I, I would hope that <laughs> some of these questions that we are asking now, um, will be, uh, um, if anyone watches the office, a take headed of, <laughs> or a heated, <laughs> <laughs> um, by our leaders, by people who, you know, have the power to. Um, to sway opinion, um, mass opinion. Yeah, so that is certainly my hope. I think it's quite interesting that you compare expert uh, religion to folk religion uh, because how we are brought up is that the folk religion is the one which is misguided because it is not based on solid theological principles and it is the expert religion which which... So this is what we must go towards, right? Folk religion. And then we use all these like bombastic words just to say that, oh, syncretism. Yeah, that's, that's just the word. And we, we use all these things just to indicate that folk religion is impure. It is not very godly. And, and, and this is what I have believed for a long period of time. But I guess where I am at now, and I think 
a larger cultural shift away from trusting experts just because they are experts, which of course also leads us to Trump, but that's a different conversation, <laughs> right? When you have totally no trust in experts. But as we move away from only trusting experts, I think we need to re-examine that, you know, the ivory tower effect is real. The leadership speaking within itself is never going to represent what membership, what's actually occurring in membership. Even the most mm. placid membership will, will represent a different dynamic than the church leadership. And, and then the question becomes, is it the job of the church leadership to lead or to take heed? And, and I can see how going too far in the taking heed direction leads to your commercial churches. And, and I, I do see the need for strong leadership. And this is where I respect uh, someone, for mm. example, like uh, Pastor Sivin Kit, who I think a lot of millennials look up to um, because of how he clearly clearly states certain points of, of scripture, theological points, but also is very active in the conversations between the religions, of course, before he went off to study and things like that. Uh. So I think this is the sort of leadership we, we need that will actually not just lead within the church, but lead the church mm -hmm. facing the nation, facing the different mm -hmm. communities that we're at. And I think these are the true leaders of the church, yeah. uh, not the ones who, who make decisions within our four yeah. walls. There's definitely a lot to chew upon. And um, like Marcus said as well, I'm just so glad that you, know, you have that place on the table, even within your church, um, as a millennial, you know, to bring these things up um, to church leadership. And I, I think that's also excellent foresight too that you have, you know, in that like, yeah, now we may not be like, you know, facing the brunt of all these other issues and questions that maybe the American church has been facing, but the day of reckoning will come, you know? And when that comes, we are not ready and we're probably going to lose a whole bunch of people, you know? Um, and, and so we need to start, we need to start having those conversations. We need to figure out where where we actually do stand um, or some of this issue that, that that needs to be addressed and listened to more than just kind of like chucking it under the bed and just throwing it out, you know? Um, so I, I think that's a good place to start, I think. Yeah, and I think the whole area of um, where sexual, anything sex-related is seen as a greater sin um, is very pernicious because... In our theology, we claim that there's no big sin and small sin. But in our practice, we have treated not just the LGBTQ, um, the area of pornography, mm. which, which is very harmful, yeah. but we never really discuss it as a harmful to society, harmful to practitioners. We discuss it as a spiritual harm. Personal holiness harm. In a way that we do not for lying. So, so um, mm. pornography, masturbation, every sexual sin. And in the end, we just inherit Victorian values. And we are still stuck in the 1600s, if you know what I mean. So, well, and 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 the funny thing about the Victorian part is that there was there was sexual purity within marriages, um, with a clause mm. that men who really wanted to encounter the pleasures of the world would go to brothels anyway. So it's it's only purity for one side. Correct. Yeah. So it's always <laughs> still enforced on the women, and it's yeah. So when you said um. You know, we have no big sin in, in Protestantism, right? That was what we were trying to, to, to cast off the restraint of Mother Church, right? And the carnal sins mm. and the venial sins. Yeah, this is one of the fundamental things. Mm. And then here we <laughs> yeah. go creating this, this centered set boundary that goes, 
The minute you put a toe out of this boundary, I'm saying goodbye to you. The minute you question the existence of hell, goodbye, Rob Bell. Right? <laughs> the minute you talk about LGBT within the church or come out as someone who is part of the community, well, there's no possible way you can be a Christian now. Like, bye-bye. Right? And so, yeah, it's just interesting. <laughs> I won't share too much, but I will, will acknowledge that I do diverge a little bit in opinion <laughs> and stance from from the stated positions that have been part of this podcast about LGBT, but that would be for a, a future conversation. A different show, so, yeah, I guess. That would be interesting. Actually, every time I see you both comment on my Facebook post, I feel really happy. I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Because, <laughs> well, I'm I'm more like reinforcement is here. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Reinforcement <laughs> is the correct words. <laughs> it's like Gandalf saying, "Look to the east <laughs> at the dawn of the fifth." <laughs> and then I'm like, I mean, like, Rohan has come. <laughs> but honestly, Marcus and Jeff, I don't know how you handle some of those people commenting. I mean, uh, I don't know them personally. I'm sure they're nice people, but it this is crazy. Yeah, and 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 they are not even Americans. Some of them, <laughs> Singaporeans. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I I don't envy the positions that uh, you you have uh, because with yeah. with your increased visibility, um, you do attract uh, various comments from. It seems quite crazy. Trolls. And, <laughs> that, that's the thing. I don't think that they are actually trolls. They are. It is scary to have. Like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. one of your friends, just from his comments, I'm like, <laughs> I need to find out more. And then yeah. I went to his Facebook and I saw where he was and the photos. And I'm like, no, what, 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 what am I seeing? How, how is this happening? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not even white. Like, what, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, you know how when the Israelites left Egypt, there were some that wanted to go back for the cucumbers. <laughs> yes, and the leeks. That's the only biblical <laughs> analogy that I can draw is we yeah. have not cast off <laughs> some of the things. Yes, yeah, uh, that, that, that's a good analogy, actually. Uh, the promised land awaits, though? <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is then how, um, how do you remain... <laughs> okay, civil and decent is one. But you know, how do I still love and respect you know some some of these people where they're at? You know, how do I still listen, uh, but yet still you know um, hold fast to what I believe is true, my principles and stuff. So I think for me it's just about yeah, just even with people who I don't agree with or people who may hold a you know a different stance towards myself is how do I humble myself in that sense and become the better person? You know. Um, in yeah, in all of this lah. <laughs> well, I guess I'm a bit less uh caring, uh, Jeff, <laughs> and I know that your heart uh for people uh, definitely shines through a lot. I think civility and decency are overrated. <laughs> they have they have their place um in in honest discourse. Mm. Uh, there is a place for civility and decency, mm. uh, but it cannot become a basic requirement. Um, there are things where we need to, we need to get angry, uh, and and, mm. and 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 we need to lose some mm. of that, uh, professed self control, uh, mm. because of their their seriousness. So in in real life, 
um, if if someone is and this is actually something that conservatives like to use. Oh, if someone actually comes and attacks one of your family members, wouldn't you shoot them? You know, these type of mm, things. I think yeah. that applies for a lot as well, that there are situations where force, uh, whether verbal force or physical force is is called for uh, and civility and decency only take us uh, so far. But mm. of course, um, social media comments, they are fairly meaningless in that sense. And so I would, want if I have to have a confrontation with someone, I think it needs to be face to face and person to person. Mm. I think that that yeah. that that is biblical. Uh because social mm. media is always for yeah. 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 Social media is 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 all a performance. You are saying things not just to the person, but because other people are seeing uh, are listening in. So that is not conducive to actually ironing out differences between brothers. Right? So, uh, so in, in that sense, yes, civility and decency is helpful so that you do not bring what should be a private conversation into the public. Uh, but three strikes, seven strikes, how many times do you forgive the brother? At some point then, at some point you, you, you reach the end of that. Shut up. I don't know. And, and this is where the block button. I feel like that's the thing. I think I'm too polite. I'm like, take your leave and don't comment. People are like, no, but then still continue typing. I'm like, I literally said... <laughs> Quiet. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, so, Marcus, you get a lot of it, actually, uh, because of your reach. <laughs> and, well, and, and one of the things, I still... The funny thing is, for the people who actually do come back um, time and time, are those that I have maintained relationship with, uh, and I will still sit down and have coffee and, and kind of chat with them. It's the <laughs> random mm. ones who then come on and right. give some kind of story. Who don't know you and you don't know them. Yeah. I wish I had a conversation with someone yesterday who told me like, oh, maybe you should appeal more to the moderates. Like th- That's where the change is going to happen. And I was just thinking about it on the way back. I kind of felt there was some power distance there. So I was receiving it as, okay, this person's older than me. They have more experience. They're also a leader in the community. Like I, I should take heed of it, right? But as I was in the car, I'm like, the whole point of Martin Luther's life was to blow the idea of moderates out of the water, right? <laughs> Your silent means you are not for us. Like, that is just plain what it is. Like, you know, the the, the whole point of being a moderate is that mm, you have privilege. Wow. So now what are you going to do with your privilege, right? Um, And so then I'm like, but I don't know whether that's my calling. Part of me is like, it's not my job to educate you. Exactly. This is the, the, the fundamental thing. How much time and effort are you going to spend uh, on this? Is this, real, this is not the primary concern of any of our exactly. lives. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, you just got to learn how to pick your battles. La. And Facebook is primarily a place, it is a place for me to air my grievances. It is a place for me to lament. Because um, I do a lot of public lamenting. I think, you know, and that's the thing. So I was talking to Lauren too about um, the fact that some of the people in our lives who we would consider moderate have reached out and thanked me for saying things that they are afraid to read or say or to express. So I think there is a function for that prophetic. I mean, I look at the prophets, right? They never engage with moderates. <laughs> la. <laughs> maybe there is. Maybe there were no moderates in Israel. Yeah, yeah, it, they are all one-sided. <laughs> they were all radical at some point. <laughs> Ayoh. Yeah, but then again, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, I'm a prophet. Look at me, man. But but I think one one useful uh, concept there, which has is is when you explain to so for me actually like dealing with the young adults in the church is when you explain the concept of an Overton window. Yes. Uh, and 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 how much the concept of a moderate it is not an absolute fifty percent. Mm-hmm. It is 
in the middle of what is currently acceptable yeah. and that moves over time. Yeah. And mm. I think once you 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 grok that that connection, then you realize that there is no moderate. Yeah. Uh, the, the the idea of moderation is just something imposed by people who believe that we are going to freeze the discussion uh, right here, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and, and, and each of us actually has the power to push the discussion in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we choose not to use it, then we are always in favor of the status quo. Yeah. So this may not be something which resonates with um, American listeners, for example. Yeah. Uh, but I think in, in Malaysia, uh, the easy example is if you do not speak up, that is the status quo. Mm. And no matter how much noise you make, what a lot of times it just feels like you're slowing things down in that direction. You're being solved, mm. right? We're just, we're slowing down the fermentation process. Yes. We're being that salt in the world. Uh, whether we can reverse it, um, I, I don't think we can reverse in the Malaysian context uh, because I think that is something that needs to be done uh, by people outside the Christian community. We do not have the, yeah. the influence uh, to do that. But we can uh, slow things down um, in, in just in how we speak and what we choose to speak mm. on. So really good luck to our leaders and uh, our national leaders. Mm. Uh, not a good place to be this last 10 years yeah. being a national Christian leader in Malaysia. Yeah, mm. yeah and I think it, it also doesn't help that there isn't a clear voice. Um, yeah, <laughs> even in like... Um, the Malaysian Christian faith setting as well, but I think also like in general, yeah, many voices, but no clear voice. There are clear voices in echo chambers and clear voices in little mm. empires. You know, that, that when they say <laughs> church, what they actually mean is other campuses <laughs> in KL, you know, versus like church, yep. we're addressing, you know, mm. believers of all tradition, of all perspectives of the global church. Like, it takes a little bit to actually have that. It takes some mm. self-reflex, uh, reflexiveness to to come to that point and realize that my church is not the world, right? My church is not mm. the end of yes. Christianity. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But um, Uni, thank you so much for your time. Um, and even, I feel like I am jealous of your students. I want to sit probably not in an engineering class um, but if you do conduct any sort of classes in church I would definitely love to sit in one of those classes because I feel like you have brought a certain sense of clarity to some of these conversations um, questions that we we have been having and even conversations with other people I think this episode specifically will click uh, or, or kind of be that thing that pulls the thread that draws uh, some of these questions together in a in a thoughtful mm. and yet still humble way. Uh, I'm, I'm really appreciative of it. Wow. Wow. I mean, so much to kind of process. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't really know where to start, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just know that next week we won't have an episode so that People can <laughs> have space to, oh, to, to reflect. Lecture Divina. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, so so here's the thing, right? You and I, we have our, our feet in two worlds. Most Malaysians mm. don't, you know? And so the reason we want to interact with believers from other contexts is to yeah. raise awareness and to bring 
to mind that the church is not just contained within a specific ethnicity, a specific yeah. nationality, a specific culture. We do want Absolutely. to broaden the the views and, and understanding and perspective of the listeners. However, what is most relevant to us right now mm. is that we are Malaysian, right? And yeah. I think for this episode, that call to a contextual, we're not cancelling all mm. the teachings and stuff that we've heard before. You know, even yeah, for me absolutely. personally, it's not like I no longer recognize the authority mm. of, of Christian, white, straight, old mm. men in the church yeah. who have written, you know, theology and uh, or yeah. helped develop some of the language for it. But I'm I'm yearning and aching and, and wanting for something that is not white. Yes. Something yeah. global, something yeah. local, something that, that can bear relevance to me as a believer where I don't feel like being a Christian means being Western. Because I am not. Yeah. Yeah. And many of our listeners are also not, right? So yeah. I think this conversation really supported that, if anything else, that pursuit or give a push or a motivation to say there are ways that we can deconstruct in our faith that have to do specifically with cultural baggage that was unintended consequences left behind for us. The very truth of mm. the matter is we were colonized. Faith yeah. was brought to us in a context when this nation was subjected to the rule and oftentimes the tyranny and cruelty mm. of white men. Yeah, yeah. That is the truth. Mm. How do we move forward? We have to acknowledge the truth first and yes. then we can have that conversation. Okay, what do we do now? Most yeah. of us are like ostriches hiding our heads in the sand. And whether we are avoiding yeah. the questions or whether we are avoiding the influences, most of us want to talk about Black Lives Matter and all these different social justice issues, yet we are very subconsciously anglophilic, Western-educated mm. people. In a way, we are, we are kind of just like how they are stateless people we are stateless to our own thoughts. We are stateless yeah. to our own cultural wow. beings, you know, because mm. we, most of us were never given the chance to do that. You know, yeah. We, yeah. we were entered into some kind of hybrid relationship, um, not by choice. Mm. Um, and yeah. so I think, yeah, for me going to the US and studying and being Western educated, what it did for me was awakened my mm. identity as someone who is not white, not Western, who mm. is indeed Southeast mm. Asian, who has multiple worlds that I need to cross and I have the frameworks, mm. but I don't always enjoy doing it, right? And so yeah. I think this yeah. conversation was very timely for me yeah. and important yeah. for, for, for and, and anyone who is listening. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think definitely for myself as well. I think, you know, um, we are not, chucking out the baby here with the bathwater. Like there are many things about the Western church and about Western Christianity that has blessed us and, you know, myself included, mm -hmm. you know, and a big part of my own spiritual growth has been because of Western Christianity, you know, and the efforts and the labors and the sacrifices that, you know, and the pastors and leaders, yeah, you know, and missionaries, you know, that have, traveled the world to come all the way here, you know, to, um, to share about 
um, the Christian faith and about spirituality and things like that. So we're not going to chuck, you know, I don't want to chuck everything away, right? With, you know, um, but we do have to realize that something is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Something is wrong with the system, right? And we need to find for ourselves what it means to have an authentic faith. And so I think part of the solution, yes, number one is um, recognizing and being aware how we've been influenced. Uh, yeah, about the past really. But I think number two is taking taking ownership then of our faith, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Having these kind of conversations, you know, with our peers, with people who are like us, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Diving into the word, right? Individually, but also collectively as well, right? Um, I I love what Uni said, like, you know, when we were asking him about the solution and he said, Christ, right? Like going back mm-hmm. to Christ as a living being, a living person who is able to, you know, lead us, guide us, you know? And and I absolutely agree with that. I think that is the, that is the solution, you know? If we believe that we have Holy Spirit in us, then we are able to mm-hmm. find our way not just through our own strength, but through the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance, you know. Yeah, and that is effectively the path of discipleship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so in terms of discipleship, I think we need to look at a different way of doing discipleship where it's less class, instructional, prescribed yeah. beliefs kind of setting and more informal yet um, formative. Mm, like even the way Jesus did it. Like I love how Uni said that he has a small group that he started leading while they were still in high school. Mm. And now mm. they're entering the working world. We leave that yeah. often up to the pastor. The pastor has to maintain relationships, which then becomes an issue in a mega church. Because how can a mm. one pastor maintain relationship with a thousand people, which also, yeah. you know, calls for the need for more pastors to be raised. But then somewhere in that, there's a disconnect. Programs, yeah. courses, you know, leadership courses, discipleship courses, they are great instructional mm. forums, but we haven't really come to the place where we hold up mm. small interactional kind of of gatherings as yeah yeah equally valid equally important yes yeah and maybe even more if you ask me maybe even more than just a big kind of like you know a see a show type performance gathering you know or you know like spect you know like a more spectatorship thing where you don't really receive anything and there's no you know there's no accountability there's no vulnerability which i think we've come to accept like we like shrug our shoulders yeah. like oh what can we do this is what look, doing church looks like yeah it's not. I, yeah exactly it's exactly. not what doing church looks like it's abnormal and a big part of it is we are lazy <laughs> yeah we don't want to do our homework yeah. you know we don't we don't want to take our own responsibility for our own faith we much rather delegate it to someone else thanks for tuning into the dip chew podcast by marcus dip silas and jfeth chew this conversation was the second episode of a two-part series with our guest, Dr. Ng Un Yi. If you missed the first episode, you can find it on all our streaming platforms titled Anglophilia and the Malaysian Church. 
Original music for this podcast is created by John Dip Silas.